As you have turned to Romans chapter 12, let me read to you the church of the Lord Jesus Christ here in Greenville. Two verses from 1 Thessalonians 4, which I believe about you as a body. But as touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you, as he writes unto them. For ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. And indeed, ye do it toward all the brethren which are in all Macedonia. But we beseech you, brethren, that ye increase more and more. Amen. And thus, Romans twelve sixteen for us today, rather than letting it be tedious, let it be a reminder and a point of emphasis to excite us and turn us even closer to the Lord by increasing in our love for one another. The Thessalonians had it. It was a well-known reputation they had not only in their city, not only in their church, but the apostle knew it had spread throughout the whole province of Greece called Macedonia, where Philippi and other churches were. They were known as a loving church. But he said, we want you to increase in it more and more. And so we come to Romans twelve sixteen this morning. Romans 12 and verse 16. Be of the same mind, one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. We have three sentences and four clauses in one verse. This chapter has emphasized to us love long before we get to the 16th verse. And it almost appears redundant or tedious to us. And this week, the Lord has shown me first by Proverbs, then by Romans 12, that what appears to be redundant to me is his point of emphasis. In the book of Proverbs, and I had this proverb to deal with this past week, Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 6 reads this way. And this is why the lesson I got. Blessings are upon the head of the just, but violence covereth the mouth of the wicked. If you live to, if you live a just and righteous life, the Lord will bless you. If you live a wicked life, the Lord's going to destroy you or punish you. And you look at that verse and you say, there's a hundred of those. There's two hundred of those in the book of Proverbs. And as I'm thinking about thousands of people reading a new proverb and a daily comment and a commentary on it, I was expressing to the Lord, Lord, these seem a little redundant. There's so many of them. And if I just keep writing the same thing, if you're good, the Lord will bless you. If you're bad, the Lord's going to pound you. It just, can't we have something more exciting? And I've, I've shared this with a couple of brothers a couple days ago. I wasn't disrespectful to the Lord at all, just talking to him about his precious word, and I love every bit of it. And he said to me, has it crossed your mind, in effect, as to who wrote those verses? And why out of 915 you might have 200 that say the same thing just in different words? That's because that's the most important point to be made in the whole book of Proverbs. As Solomon would conclude Ecclesiastes, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Be diligent and get ahead on the job. Save your money and store up for a rainy day like the ant. No, what is the conclusion of the whole matter and the whole duty of man? Fear God and keep His commandments. This is the whole duty of man. For God's going to bring every work into judgment. So I humbled myself before the Lord, and you got Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 6. Because that was the one that my method for going through these verses had for that particular day. 
And I come to Romans chapter 12. I read the first two verses as a mandate for us. Verses 3 through 8 are humility that we're supposed to have toward one another by not trying to get out of the role God gave us and have a role that God gave someone else. I get to verse 9 and it says love. I get to verse 10 it says be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love in honor preferring one another. If you were to ask me the best commentary on Romans 12:16 in the whole Bible, I would tell you it's Romans 12:10 and we just had it a few verses earlier. But why is it in the same chapter? Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love in verse 10. You know, then in verse 13, distributing to the necessity of saints and given to hospitality. That's showing brotherly love. Then verse 15, rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep. That's brotherly love by empathizing and getting involved in the blessings and the suffering that God's people go through that are here in the church that we know as our brethren. Then we come to verse 16, and it seems repetitive. It seems like, can we move on, please? but we would never say that to the Lord. (laughs) And so the Lord gave me John 13, verses 34 and 35, and He has comforted me immensely. Greater love hath no man than a man lay down his life for his friends. And the Lord Jesus Christ laid down his life for his enemies. And we are supposed to love one another that way. And if we're to be known as the disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, then we are going to love one another in an exceptional, selfless, sacrificial, constant, forgiving, overlooking, forbearing, gracious, merciful way. And so here we are at Romans 12, 16. I'm not unhappy with it, disappointed. I love it, and I want to emphasize it to you today. And because verses 17 through 21 are a different track of thought, we want to just deal with verse 16 in this morning assembly. Much more could be said, and if you want to see it and read it or listen to it, it's entitled a sermon series of a few sermons Love is the greatest. Because love is the greatest grace. Love is the greatest evidence. Love is the greatest proof. Love is the greatest mark. Love is the greatest work that the New Testament teaches. Unregenerate men can do certain things. But the greatest measure of of the work of grace in a child of God's heart is to love one another. And to love the way the Bible describes love. I am not talking about the way the world loves It's the way the Bible teaches love. You know, the Lord Jesus Christ would say, if you salute those that love you, what thank have ye? That's not love by His definition. Even the Pharisees do so, He said. But if you love those that are your enemies, or that are avoiding you, or that slight you, then you're showing Christian love. And the New Testament is just packed full of it. You know, we have little bits here and there about living a holy life. We have things here and there about truth. And you all know that I believe all of these things, and there should be no doubt in your minds about that. And there's emphasis in the Word of God about wisdom. But the greatest of them all, the overarching one, is the bond of perfectness. And what is the bond of perfectness? Charity and love. Taught throughout. And the Lord Jesus Christ showed it, and we want to be His disciples by the evidence of that love. And so we have this 16th verse. Be of the same mind, one toward another, is a sentence in this verse. 
Now, unity in everything, in our judgment, in our opinion, in our doctrine, in the ancient landmarks is important. Unity and being of one mind, one mouth, one heart, one judgment, 1 Corinthians 1.10 is the most wonderful verse on this point. And since it's so close, you might as well turn three pages and find it. 1 Corinthians 1.10 Now I beseech you, brethren. That sounds like Romans chapter 12. Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Now that's when it comes to doctrine and practice of a local church. But Romans 12.16 is not talking about that. I want you to look back at Romans 12.16 and notice the words. Be of the same mind, one toward another. It doesn't say, be of the same mind about the gospel. It doesn't say, be of the same mind with one another. It says, be of the same mind toward one another. The the affection that flows back... In, well, you know what the context is here. Do I need to help you with that? Or do you already know that it's talking about brotherly love, condescending humility, and showing an interest and care for each other because that was the 15th verse, and that's the rest of the 16th verse. It is not doctrinal integrity. It is something that we show one toward another. Each of us shows toward each other. There is mutually flowing affection in all directions. In a church, there's always going to be poorer members and richer members. The poorer members do not resent the richer members. In the church of Jesus Christ, they love them. The richer members don't, do not despise the poorer members. They love them. And so there is love and mutual affection in one mind of having a joined body where we all take care of each other, and we are all on a level playing field. There are no cliques, there are no classes, there's no divisions, we are all one. It doesn't matter whether we are Greeks or barbarians or Scythians. It doesn't matter whether we're rich or poor, it doesn't matter whether we're male or female, it doesn't matter whether we're bond or free. Be of the same mind, one toward another. We should be treating every single other member in this church identically to the way that we treat Every other single member in this church. The rule is to be of the same mind one toward another. It doesn't say one with another because it's not talking about doctrine. It's saying how we treat one another. We fulfill this rule when we see all the others in the church equal and we affectionately care for others one at a time. We keep this first sentence. Each member's view and each member's treatment of the church is the welfare of all without any neglected. We never want to neglect a single one in this church. The children should be precious and important to us, even though they're not our offspring. Every member of the assembly should be important. Be of the same mind, one toward another. Do not let your mind be toward this one at a higher level than this one. Because of external circumstances in their lives, because of abilities that God gave and didn't give to the other, or because they're easier for you, we want to have a mutual affection in the whole body in order to be the true disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is his religion. This is what he did, and you better be thankful for it. Because if the Lord Jesus Christ only had loved and given himself for those that are intelligent and gifted and able, you wouldn't be saved. And neither would I. And so he did it broadcast style. And guess who he emphasized? Who did he choose? Rich in faith. 
but the poor of this world. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, you can see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise, not many noble, not many rich are called, but God hath chosen the foolish things of this world to confound those things which think they are something. The whole church is called to perfect unity in love by each member loving each other member. That is what the first clause of Romans 12, 16 is teaching. Now it's taught elsewhere. Look at Romans 15. I want to show you three passages of Scripture that should help us. Romans 15 and verse 5. Now the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded one toward another according to Christ Jesus, that ye may with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wherefore, receive ye the doctrine of our faith, that ye might be of one mind. No, oh, wherefore receive ye one another, as Christ also received us to the glory of God. My false reading of that passage was to point out that this is not a unity in doctrine, this is a unity in affection. This is a unity in receiving each other and embracing each other. We're not holding anyone at arm's length. But we embrace Because the Lord Jesus Christ so received us, and we ought to do it, and that is how we glorify God with one mind and one mouth because we are all together mutually loving each other because we are all the blood-bought children of the Lord Jesus Christ. I have preached before how John the Baptist's ministry was to turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of those children to their fathers For a purpose. And that stated purpose in the Bible was to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And so this is another way of how do we prepare ourselves to glorify God in our worship? By loving each other. That's what these three verses are teaching. Look at Philippians chapter 2. Another cross-reference to our Romans 12, 16 and the first clause. Philippians chapter 2. Verse 2, fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded. There it is. Fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, or to be of one mind, having the same love. See? Look at the Word of God. Let it, let it, by comparing spiritual things with spirituals, tell us what it means there. Being of one accord, of one mind. Now, if we just had the words, being of one accord, of one mind, then we might think it's talking about doctrine. But when it says, having the same love, we know what it's talking about. And when we read verse 3, we know what it's talking about, because it says, no strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind. I think that means condescending. Let each esteem other better than themselves. So it's the love of Romans 12, 16 being taught here that it's being like-minded. Of course we want to be like-minded on doctrine. Everyone we receive into this church, do you believe and hold and are willing to hold fast the doctrine that this church believes? We want to be like-minded about doctrine. But we want to be like-minded in affection as well, having the same love. Our love is for every member in the church. And our love is giving back everything that is given to us. And it's just mutual in every direction that can be measured by love from one person to another in the church of God. One more. 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 8. Finally, be ye all of one mind. There are those words again by the Holy Ghost. 
even though Peter is now the penman. Finally, be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another. Love as brethren. Be pitiful. Be courteous. And it goes on to describe, notice, it's not unity of doctrine, it's unity of affection, that we truly love every other member in here. And God is going to put members in every church for everyone to love that require extra effort. Because they're unlovely, they're uncomely, as 1 Corinthians 12 describes it. They were designed for you. And when you find it difficult to love certain ones, they were designed for you. God knows all of those differences that either irritate or placate us, that either excite us or offend us. And they're all going to come together in a church, and there's going to... Now that's just personality differences and the way that we were brought up and little idiosyncrasies of each other. But then there are the, the, the social distinctions, there are the, the income distinctions, the intellectual distinctions, and all of those are blown away when we just come through those doors. No when we make ourselves a part of the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what Paul's trying to teach in Romans 12. And listen, this is the religion of the Lord Jesus Christ, and this is how all men know that we are His disciples because they see no class distinctions at all. They can see a poor man who isn't very well educated as he stumbles in his speech to a visitor, being warmly embraced by someone who's very eloquent and gracious and well-dressed in his manner, and and they just see the whole thing I have never seen a group that loves each other from top to bottom like that church. I saw grown men in fine suits holding babies that drooled on their shoulders. It was disgusting and beautiful. And that's the way it ought to be in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 12. This is his reminder for us. And I do not want you to be frustrated with this lesson. I'm repeating myself right now from my introduction because I believe Romans 12.10 has already taught this and he's teaching it again in Romans 12.16 because though the Thessalonians did it well and the reputation had spread abroad, uh, the apostles wanted them to abound in it, yet more and more, I want us to abound in it more and more because the Lord wants us to abound in it, yet more and more. So there's the interpretation of this verse by other places in the New Testament. When it says, be of the same mind one toward another, it's speaking of our affection and desire and love toward the other members of this body. The church of God should be a happy family with great camaraderie and affection, one for all, and all for one. Every single one of us on an equal plane. This is Psalm 133 from last Sunday. Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Your mind should be compatible and concerned for brethren, especially the lowly, not the loftier, as the rest of this verse is going to teach us. You shouldn't have lofty ideas of yourself or your things or your lives, but rather the lives and things of others. You should want to constantly be at work for the affection and compassion and reward and help and support and encouragement of the other members. Paul's going to raise this rule again when we get to chapter 14, because in chapter 14 you have the issues of Christian liberty. But I have a right to do those things. The the person can say to himself, the Bible teaches that I can do this. The Bible allows me to do this. The Apostle Paul would say, all things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. 
All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. And we don't want to be brought under the power of anything. So Romans 14 is just going to come back to this issue of love and charity because that's destroy not him with thy meat for whom Christ died because now thou walkest not charitably. It's going to come back to the issue of love. This is the greatest measure. Jerry this morning was asking you, is the Lord your portion? Well, if the Lord's your portion, you're going to love him with all of your heart mind, soul, and strength. And the second commandment is you're going to love those that are the Lord's. And so we've got to do that. We want to do it. And we want to turn our feet into the way of this commandment. You know, the rest of this verse is going to tell you that you should not consider yourself above any other member in this assembly. It's going to tell you not to mind high things. It's going to tell you to get down by telling you to condescend. And it's going to tell you not to be wise in your own conceits because that's all that it is when you think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. It's just conceit. And so that is the lesson of the first clause. You know, there are heretical efforts made today that have seen a lack of love and charity among church members. So they've created this ridiculous house church movement. And ridiculous it is, and it's profane, where where in their effort of trying to keep the concept and the, and the lesson and the doctrine and the practice and the love of this verse, they get rid of all authority, all instruction, all teaching, and all rank. Well, they don't read the Bible. Because how did Romans 12 develop itself? In verses 3 through 8, it developed a whole string of offices and ranks and gifts that are to be esteemed and that are over the brethren in this service to the church. So you don't get in a room and say, little Susie, little seven-year-old Susie, we'd like to hear your opinion on Ezekiel 45. And so little Susie coughs up and belches out her little ideas on Ezekiel 45, and they think that that's unity. That kind of unity isn't taught anywhere in the Word of God. The Bible says, submit yourselves to them that teach you the Word of God in various places. Obey them that have the rule over you. We don't get rid of God's offices, but we do get rid of any personal differences. We get rid of any any uh, selectiveness or favoritism in the church of God. Ministers are blasted about uh, against partiality in their treatment of the church. First Timothy 5.21, Paul said to Timothy, I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels. Now in the middle of a letter, should that get your attention if you're a minister? I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels that thou observe these things without preferring one before another, doing nothing by partiality. But he's still in an office because he's still doing these things. He is still the one responsible for saying, this widow qualifies, it's 1 Timothy 5, this widow doesn't qualify, but he better not do a single bit of it by partiality or showing preference one to another. I just wanted to make that point because there are ditches to every road. And one of those ditches today is trying to find the mutual love in a church but they go too, way too far, and so I called it ridiculous by getting rid of the offices that God ordained. That would be like a family. We want our family to be united, so we've decided that Susie is now going to sit at the head of the table, and she's going to direct the conversations every night when we have supper, and Daddy is going to sit at the side. You say, well, that's absurd. I, that's the point. That's the house church movement. It's absurd. 
It's just one more invention to pull people away from God's orderly way of having a church. Therefore, you have to listen to Susie and you have to listen to Linda and you have, have to listen to Jim Bob try to give their explanation on passages of Scripture when the Bible teaches that God chose men to teach the Scriptures and they're the ones that are going to increase a church in their knowledge and understanding of the Word of God. And so they corrupt this part that's so very valuable to them in their desperate, ignorant search for finding a more loving church. We want to be that loving church and have the other things the New Testament teaches in their proper place. Romans twelve sixteen the second clause. Mind not high things. Now this is not speculation about high doctrine. You know, you know the verse in Psalm 131 and verse 1 where David said, I will not exercise myself in matters too high for me. And we think there, we understand in that verse that David is saying, I'm not going to try to get into the secret will of God. I am not going to try to understand things that God has not revealed to me. I'm going to restrain myself to the things that God has revealed. When it says here, mind not high things, because of what's around it, and that is the way we study Scripture, and I will hold you to our master of interpretation. And that is, it starts with C. It is Mr. Context. We will always let context tell us what mind not high things is high altitude. So we shouldn't mind things that are above, like Denver, about 5,000 feet above sea level? Is it minding high things in height in here? See, we were lost without a context. So what is the context of the words, mind not high things? Well, in opposition is set, men of low estate. So it's higher men, more successful men, wealthier men, men of the community, men who are known, men with reputations and their things. Don't be all enthralled with where so-and-so lives or what so-and-so does in his job because when we're a part of the body of Christ, those things don't matter. When he is off at work, he is to be pursuing every with every bit of ambition God teaches him to pursue it with the higher things of his life. But that they are unrecognized in the church of God. If it's a barbecue or it's a church assembly, unrecognized. If there's a man in the hospital, the man that is involved in the higher things Monday through Saturday is there with that brother. He gets on his knees with that brother. He'll do anything with that brother because we don't mind high things when we come into the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. The immediate context before and after tells us that church members are the context. Though the word things are used, the things are connected to brethren due to the low men that are in the rest of this particular sentence, where it says, Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. See, those high things are those that are involved in running businesses and owning businesses. They might have been on city council. They might have had this or that role that would elevate them in all other organizations, that would elevate them in all other human settings. But in the church of Jesus Christ, don't mind them. They're nobody. They're, they're bought by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ the same way everyone else is bought by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is what the Lord is teaching us here in this verse, and this is what we want to practice. Your mind should be concerned and desirous for all the brethren, especially the lowlier, not the loftier. 
as I've taught you from Luke 14 and other places. Remember, the Lord Jesus Christ said in the great day of judgment, He's going to take notice of what we have done for the greatest of these, my brethren. Is that what it says in Matthew 25, 35? Or does it say, in that ye have done this to the least of these, my brethren? And so this is the message that is an old message, and yet it's a new message, that ye love one another. Did Jesus Christ die for us? Okay, You say, well, I don't feel very lonely. You may be thinking this right now in your heart. Hey, the Lord Jesus died for me because I was pretty special. Well, you were a Gentile to start off with, and I don't think we need to go much further, because if you read Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 18, you're going to find out that just as a Gentile, you stink. You're nothing. You're goyim, you're cattle, you're a dog. Jesus would even say, why do we give the master's bread to dogs, referring to a Gentile woman. So, you know, before we can even get started with uh, you personally, we deal with you as a Gentile, and we're all in desperate need of the Lord Jesus Christ loving the least esteemed in the world, us Gentiles. Mind not high things. It warns against being mentally ambitious or interested in the matters of the successful. We don't want to go to church to network. Do you know that there are churches in this city that are known as network churches? Do you know why you go to those churches and not other churches of the same denomination? Because you're going there to network. You're going there to rub elbows with those lawyers and other men of your profession or that can be sponsors or contacts for you in your industry. That is ridiculous. The verse condemns it. This clause condemns it. Mind not high things. That is not what we come in here for. We don't want to come in here and gather clicks. We want to go reach out to those that and condescend to men of low estate. I don't want to get ahead of myself yet. We don't want to gather ourselves just around the popular. We don't want to gather ourselves around the affluent or the successful. This is the church. And if visitors were to come in, and it doesn't take very long to know who the affluent are. You know, it shows up in the parking lot. It shows up in their suits. It shows up in their mannerisms. It shows up in their vocabulary. It shows up in their shoe leather. It shows up. And it should show up. We shouldn't all wear the same clothes. That's another ridiculous and profane extreme of the Amish and the Mennonites. There's nothing scriptural about that. The rich should look like they're rich because they are rich. The rich should not have to shop at Walmart. Because God hath given them richly all things to enjoy. They don't have to shop there. And here's the benefit. When they're in the assembly and they're just, they're not trying to be ostentatious and show off by their clothes. Of course that would be a sin. But if they, if they're enjoying some fine clothes and they enjoyed a fine ride on the way to this assembly and they live in a fine home in a fine subdivision, there's nothing wrong with that. What is beautiful about that is when that brother is shown embracing the brother that doesn't have any of those things and there is total equality given to him. And in a, in a circle of people, that brother will shut his mouth and let the other speak and ask him, brother, what do you think on that subject? And you know the lowly man who wears, who shops at Walmart. And I'm, I'm not critic. Don't no emails about Walmart, please. None of you would do that. I'm just, just for a moment. You know when that brother's conversation is solicited and he speaks, and there the man is 
that intellectually, educationally, professionally is his superior doesn't show one bit because he is desirous of that other man's soul and he wants to hear what he has to say and he cares about that other man's things. And that other man had a hot water heater go out and here's a man who's making $300,000 a year and he's asking about that hot water heater. Brother, did you have insurance on that hot water heater? And the brother says no. And everybody in the circle knows that before that brother can get to his car and get off that parking lot, he's going to have his hot water heater paid for But the man with the means would never do it in public for his own honor. Mind not high things. There's only one being that can make a group of men act that way toward each other from all sides of the track, from all different levels, that have all different kinds of personalities and rules of courtesy that they were taught at their home or not taught in their home to love one another. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is what I want to teach today from Romans 12, 16. It makes you want to be successful so that you can give it away, can't you? Doesn't it? It makes you want to be successful so that you can show the Lord how far you can get down. Because if you're already down, how can you condescend? Mind not high things. Paul already warned about hum- the importance of humility as soon as he started off this chapter in verse 3. Verses 3 through 8 is all about humility. And so we have it right now by not minding high things when it comes to men. Remember, Jesus Christ will take recognition of those that took care of the least of his brethren. Remember, Jesus Christ and Solomon taught that when you go into an, a, a group of people, where should you sit? In the high seat or the lowest seat? You say, well, somebody would say, well, what if, what if I'm a man of means? Should I sit? No, because it's far better to be called up from the lowest seat. Let's, let's let the host decide if you're a man of means. That way, if you sit at the bottom, he's going to call you up to sit at the top. But if you sit at the top and he has to say, friend, I have somebody important here. Would you please go sit down there at, at my footstool? This is what the Bible says. Right. No, it's a whole different attitude. See, the world is all... Everyone, every businessman in here that's been to a cocktail hour knows about who they rub elbows with and how everybody is gravitating toward those that can do them more good in their, in their business or their industry. It's the opposite in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, the Corinth, was, Corinth was ripped by the apostle for abusing the Lord's Supper because the rich were diving into their buffet of the best things that they could bring. They had 50-year-old wine that they were serving for the Lord's Supper along with special bread from Panera Bread Company and the poor weren't even getting to eat or drink and the rich were going away drunken and stuffed. And so there's lessons in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 that everyone should eat at home and when you come together, tarry one for another. The rich man will not dare raise his cup of blessing which we bless until the poor man is raising it as well because we all do it together. Because we are all one in the church of Jesus Christ. Male and female, there are no offices in Christ. In the functional working of the church, there are offices. In the functional working of marriage, there's a husband and a wife. In the functional working of the home, there's parents and children. But when we come in here, we're all one. You know, Karl Marx and Lenin and others have tried to come up with a philosophy or a way in which they could maximize utopia or find utopia on earth. You know where utopia is found if we want to take that word and use it for the sake of the gospel? 
It's in a, it's in a local church right. functioning the way the Lord Jesus Christ taught it to function. And not only did he teach us to function that way, he gave us the grace and power to do so. We can do this. You know, it's the wicked in Jude chapter 1 and verse 16 that are described as flattering men who have it for great advantage. It's it's worded this way, Jude 1 and verse 16. It's a description of the wicked. And we do not want to have this ever said of us. These murmurers, complainers, walking after their own lusts, and their mouth speaketh great swelling words, having men's persons in admiration because of advantage. See, they have men's persons in admiration because of advantage. They flock around certain church members because they, they have advantage for them. They can do them some good. The poor can't do you any good. And that is the whole reason the Lord puts them in a church because of Luke 14, because they can't repay you. But what does the Lord Jesus Christ say about that inequity? Your Father in heaven will repay you in the great day of judgment. And so that's how, it's just wonderful. The Lord's going to repay. The Lord's going to repay in vengeance against our enemies a few verses from now. The Lord's taken care of all of it. We never lose by, by loving the lower, by reaching lower, by condescending. And so let's go to that clause. More could be said, Lord, help us to understand everything that should be understood from the words, mind not high things. We want to be concerned about the things of others, including the poorest in our church, or in any, in any church. You know, it's hard in our church. We live in too prosperous of a country. After preaching on Luke 14, verses 12 through 14, where when you prepare a feast, you're to invite the halt, the lame, and the blind, I had church members coming up to me the last two weeks asking, Pastor, who's the halt, the lame, and the blind in our church? Well, you've got to look a little harder. They don't come in on crutches. They don't come in with a seeing eye dog. you just got to look a little harder because, you know, we're all so prosperous. Right. We're all so blessed. And, and for that, we can be thankful. But we can still look around and understand who has a tighter budget than others and adjust our hospitality accordingly. Let's go to the next clause that we have here in verse 16. It's the second half of the second sentence right in the middle of the verse. But condescend to men of low estate. You know I love the word but. You know I've taught you about the word but. That is a disjunctive, meaning that's a conjunction that is setting in opposition one clause with another. The first clause is mind not high things. Don't be thinking about the the wealthier, more successful, uh, more polished, refined prosperous members in the church, but in opposition to that, condescend to men of low estate. Get down. Get off your high horse, as they would say. This is in the Bible. Get off your high horse and get down to the lowest member. Child, teenager, poor, foolish, ignorant, handicapped, mentally... Who who cares what happened to them? It's all under the government of God, and we get down and we embrace every member of the church. It ought to be your thrill to get down. The only reason we should ever want to be higher is to do more for the kingdom. That way we can do more for the kingdom in writing checks and we can do more for the kingdom by reaching lower in loving those below us or below you. I'm just speaking in generalities here about how we do this. But condescend to men of low estate. Now let me clarify something in Psalm 62 and verse 9 about men of low estate. And I have taught this for many years, but some of you haven't heard it before. Psalm 62 and verse 9. Psalm 62, 9. 
just so that nobody in here is feeling uncomfortable with the words higher, lower, and this or that. The, the Lord has comfort here for you. You know, you go to the book of Proverbs, the rich and the poor, the Lord is the maker of them both. Doesn't make any difference. And the Lord's going to bring them both together. The rich can't get along without the poor, and the poor can't get along without the rich. They both need each other. It's in commentaries on the book of Proverbs. The rich can build as big of a factory with, with as fine as he wants, but unless he has some poorer men to operate it, it's not going to earn him anything. It's going to cost him a great deal of wasted capital. And the poor, rather than trying to eke out a living on their hard clay with a hoe, can go to that factory and make themselves a living. And so together, things work well. That's why the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 7, not to mind the calling wherein you were called. If you were called a master, use it. If you were called a bond servant, use it. Because they both are necessary. But watch this verse. And some of you have heard this many times. I, I love this verse. Psalm 62.9 Surely, certainly, definitely, obviously, of course, men of low degree are vanity. You know, low class men are of a certainty vanity. They're worthless. They're nothing. They're profitless. What the word vanity means. The, 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 the writer here is making a point by the Holy Spirit. And men of high degree are a lie. <laughs> I love this. Surely men of low degree are vanity. When you, when you think and you look at a poor man and he has zero assets and he has zero income and he's, he's just a mess from a human naturalistic world standpoint, he's vanity. But men of high degree that we call high class, look at the big home, look at the fancy car, look at that four-car garage, look at all that stuff. Those men are a lie. That is all illusionary. That's all imaginary. To be laid in the balance, that is a scale where you balance. To be laid in the balance, they are altogether lighter than vanity. If you take all the poor men and all the men of high degree and put them together on one side and put vanity on the other side, they are less than vanity. Vanity goes down in the scale because vanity is heavier. Nothing is heavier than the rich and poor put together. So anyone in here shouldn't be feeling bad about terms being used like high and low or comely or uncomely, because compared to the Lord Jesus Christ, the comeliest man that's ever... When David gets next to the Lord Jesus Christ, it is disgusting, and you want to remove him from his presence. I mean David from the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. David was a comely man. But next to the Lord Jesus Christ, he has no glory at all. Without the glory that God's put upon him. And so, when it says, condescend to men of low estate... The men of low estate should realize, well, the men of high degree are a lie. I may be vanity, but the men of high degree that are condescending to get down to me, that are going to talk to me after this service, well, they're a lie. Because altogether, we're the blood-bought children of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what makes us special, is He bought us with His precious blood, so we are the children of God by His redemption. If any man thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he's lied to himself. Galatians 6 and verse 3 teaches precisely. Verse, 1 Corinthians 3.18 says, If a man wants to be wise, let him become a fool. We should all be willing to get down. Solomon was willing to get down. He said, Lord, you made, you made David king of this kingdom, and I'm but a little child. I don't know how to go out or to come in. 
And David had prepared him to take over that throne. He was not an ignoramus. He had already married Pharaoh's daughter, and he didn't do that because he was stupid. And Pharaoh didn't let his daughter go because Solomon was stupid, was going to lose the crown in six months. But Solomon, before the Lord, and that's how we all should be. We should want to be, get down. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 8 puts it this way. And this is throughout the New Testament. Ephesians 3, 8. This is how Paul would speak of himself. I just showed you how Solomon did, reminded you. Unto me, who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given. When the Apostle Paul is making a point about his place in the kingdom of God, and he knows that it's appropriate for him to say something about putting himself down with the other brethren, unto me, who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given. That's how we ought to view ourselves. Condescending is a word that in current usage means haughtiness. Oh, he's so condescending. That's because he acts like he's getting down to someone. That's because he acts like he's something, and it's beneath him to show kindness to this person below him. So condescending is a negative word in our vocabulary, but it is not in the Bible. It is humbly getting down to the lowly, as it's described right here. But condescend to men of low estate. Get down. Reduce yourself from your high things and get down to their lower things. Go down after them. Reach down and go after them. You make the conversation with them. If you're making $300,000 a year wearing a fine suit and you pull up in some expensive new new model Mercedes and you live in some fancy subdivision and you, you order a thousand men around a day, the poor in the congregation are going to be backward about coming up to you and making a conversation. So who should who should initiate it? Let's just be honest here. Should the poor be bold and have to ascend to men of high estate? No. The rich should get down to them. And that's the way a church should work. And when anybody saw that, they would know there is something in that group of people that doesn't make sense because I've never seen it anywhere else and it must be their religion. It must be their Christ. It must be their gospel. It must be their scriptures. It must be their faith that causes the men of high degree to condescend to the men of low degree. You say, well, I'm already low degree, so how do I condescend? Are there any children in this assembly? Anybody over 16, it's, it's hard to get down with a child, isn't it? You know when there's other cool dudes around? That you can be mingling with your buddies? To get down to a child, we can all do it. Right. You know, I want people to be able to come into this congregation and see 18-year-old young men talking to 8-year-olds, talking to 4-year-olds. And you know what? If you keep your eyes peeled in this church, you can see 18-year-olds carrying 8-month-olds sometimes. And what should... That's wonderful. And they're not, they don't even have the, last name, the same last name. They're not nephews. They're just children in the church. We can all get down. Condescend to men of low estate. No member or child of any color, status, income, strength, or intelligence should ever be slighted in this assembly. This rule's already been taught in this chapter in verse 10. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love in honor, preferring one another. Well, that would mean you're going to have to get down. That's why I said verse 10 is such a good commentary on verse 16. We want to get down to everyone. Jesus Christ befriended the lowest in society. So many of his followers, according to Scripture, were repentant and converted prostitutes and repentant and converted publicans. 
tax collectors, traitors to the nation, who had sold themselves to the Roman Empire to collect taxes for an oppressing, occupying foreign, ar- foreign army. The Lord Jesus Christ made them his companions at meals. Remember, my brethren, the Lord Jesus Christ taught husbands in one verse in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 7, after he taught wives in six verses, you remember that your wife, though she in six verses has just been told to be in subjection to you with all fear, is an equal heir of the grace of life. When it comes to heaven, she's going to be standing right beside you on the same level and there's going to be no difference at all. So give honor. She may be the weaker vessel in some respects, but you give honor to her and as being heirs together of the grace of life. You both have been saved the very same way. The Lord Jesus Christ didn't have to only spend 50% of his blood's saving merit for you man and 100% for your wife. It was equal for both of you. And so that's taught there throughout the scriptures These things are taught to us. When the Bible says, submitting yourselves one to another, in Ephesians 5.21, I have had wives write me from around the world and say, see, the husband's supposed to submit himself to me. Even though Ephesians 5.22 says, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands in everything. They go back to verse 21 and say, see, it says submit yourselves one to another. My husband's supposed to submit himself to me. Well, Ephesians 5.21 isn't talking about the marital relationship. It's not talking about pastor and church members. It's not talking about master and servant. It's talking about Romans 12.16. We all submit ourselves one to another of being like-minded, of having the same mind, the same love, the same care, one for another. The man making the most in our church should be willing to say, let's do it your way to the man making the least in the church and it not cause him any angst at all, but great pleasure. Right. And, the man not, and, make, and the man making the least should not get puffed up over that fact at all, but be very gracious in having another man treat him in such a way. And you read last night in 1 Peter 5, 5, the same thing, being, and, all, and ye younger, be in subjection one to another. If you read 1 Peter 5, 5. Let's go to the last clause. And last sentence of Romans 12, 16. Be not wise in your own conceits. Be not wise in your own conceits. Don't think that you're something special in your own conceits. It's so hard to deal with. Self-righteousness deserves a uh, sermon of its own on a regular basis because it is so dangerous and so difficult to deal with. Proverbs 26.12 puts it this way. Seest thou a man wise in his own conceit? There is more hope of a fool than of him. When a man is wise in his own conceit, how can you reason with him? How can you correct him? He thinks he's wise, even though his wisdom is only in his own conceit about himself. How will you tell him he's wrong? He won't listen to you. He will quickly turn to be a scorner. It is so dangerous. Stop thinking of yourself as being special. Stop thinking of your feelings being special. Your ideas on how things ought to be done being special. Condescend and do it the way someone else wants to do it. Never be the one to make the decision for what a group's going to do. Let someone else make that decision. And you follow along heartily and cheerfully and passionately and fully. 
Be not wise in your own conceits. Proverbs 28.11 puts it this way, The rich man is wise in his own conceit, but the poor that hath understanding searcheth him out. See, it's riches that make a man think that he's more special than another, though 1 Corinthians 4, 7 corrects the whole matter. Psalm 62, verse 9 already corrected it. But 1 Corinthians 4, 7 says, Why dost thou glory in anything that you have or anything that you are when you were given it by, as a gift from God? 1 Corinthians 4, 7. You should never be wise about what you have. Your looks, God gave you to see if you're going to be humble with them if you're a good-looking person. Your intellect... God gave that to you to be as successful as possible for you to give it away to others. Not to be haughty about it. Your strength, your physical strength, God gave that to you for a purpose and you shouldn't be haughty about it. It's all a gift from God. It's not because you're special. God just gave you something to use in His service for the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, as soon as we start thinking that we're something religiously in the church of God, then we start sounding like the Laodiceans. And here's what the Laodiceans thought about themselves that Jesus Christ abruptly corrected. Because thou sayest, this is Jesus speaking to the church at Laodicea, because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. And knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. That's the response of Jesus Christ to a church or a church member that thinks, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. God's blessing me. Look at how he's taking care of me. I'm special in the church of God. I'm special in the world. And the Lord Jesus Christ comes back and says, You do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Now how's that for a response? You say, that's harsh language. Well, it's not mine. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. Love Him for it. That's the way He addresses His churches. Because the whole concept of thinking you're rich and you don't need the others or you don't need God's grace is ridiculous. It's profane. Be not wise in your own conceits. That's to be striving for vainglory, as Philippians chapter 2 and verse 3 describes it. And, and there Paul said, let there be no strife or vainglory. Let's not strive to be better than another, or to get the last word in, or to have things done our way. Let's let that be someone else that gets the last word in. The Bible condemns the self-willed or implacable persons. You know, a person cannot be ordained that is self-willed in Titus chapter 1 and verse 7. To be like the Lord Jesus Christ, as I draw this to a close for you from Romans twelve sixteen, to show that we're His disciples, to be like Him. He left heaven for the cross. Was there some condescension in that act? Who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God? Let's just answer that. Because He was God. But He humbled Himself. He humbled Himself and became a servant. How wealthy were His parents? There was no room in the inn for them. If they'd have driven up to that front door with a late model Mercedes, I can promise you there was room in the inn for them. There's always room in the inn for somebody with money. But not the Lord Jesus Christ. His mother had to bring the poor woman's offering of a couple turtle doves for his consecration and sanctification after his birth. He was poor in this world. And then he went to the death of the cross. He condescended for us. We can condescend 
for others. Do not think of yourself as superior in any way, but rather prove your excellence by showing it in service to others. The Apostle, the Apostle Paul would say that when he's explaining not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, he knows that there's going to be a little question coming up. Well, well what if I'm doing well? You know, be, if a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. But let every man prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. If you think you're something, then show us. Show us your something by the measure of Scripture. And what is the measure of Scripture? We started with that an hour and 45 minutes ago. What did we start with? A new commandment give I unto you, that ye love one another. As I have loved you, that ye also love one another. That's the new commandment. And if you want to prove yourself a great Christian, then do it by out-serving and out-loving the others in this church toward every other single member. That is the measure. That's Romans twelve sixteen. I commend you as a church. You are a loving body, but we can do better. And I want you to abound in it yet more and more. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word.